You're listening to Bose Podcast, the official podcast of Bose Cavern, Ottawa's premier upscale drinking society. Now here are your hosts, Matt and Taylor. Welcome to Bose Podcast, where the truth is here, except for the stuff we made up, which is most of it. Those are lies, but they're entertaining lies. And in the end, isn't that the real truth? The answer is no. So on Bo's podcast today, we're talking about the Springfield Files, episode 10 of season 8, uh, first aired January 12th, 1997, so 25 years ago. And this is certainly one of my favorite episodes. Uh, hard to pinpoint a favorite episode out of the whole series, but this is definitely in the top five. And I'm really excited to talk about this because I'm also a big X-Files fan. So with me is Taylor Mitchell. Hey, Taylor. How's it going, Matt? It's going great. How about with you? It's going great. Would you say that your favorite Simpsons episodes are, they, they have some kind of link to, you know, some pop culture or something else that you enjoy outside of the show and that the best part is the way it bridges those things? I would say so. I'm trying to think of some of the other episodes that I really like. 22 short films about Springfield is definitely up there. And I think I like that one particularly for the parody of Pulp Fiction, yes. which is one of my favorite movies. So yes, the episodes that make the top list there, yes, they have some kind of pop culture reference, some sort of linkage to something else that I really enjoy. So, right And it's just, what's their spin on it? How do they make fun of it? Yeah, exactly. This is one of the very rare crossover episodes that I think they've done in the series. Uh, the first one was probably A Star is Burns, where they crossed over with the critic, voiced by John Lovitz. But what was it? There was also later season 18, 24 Minutes. They did the crossover with 24. the show 24, yes, and they had uh, Kiefer Sutherland and Mary Lynn uh, Rajscoop. I probably said it wrong as uh, Jack Bauer and Chloe O'Brien. So, you know, the crossover episodes are very rare in The Simpsons. Qu- question of terminology. Is it technically a crossover if... Uh, the Simpsons itself does not cross over to the other show. I think so, because that's the thing about crossovers with animated shows. Like, it's okay to take something live action and bring it into the animated world. But how do you really bring something from the animated world into the live action without it looking really bad, really Fair cheesy enough. in that? So, yeah, I, I think in terms of crossovers with an animated series, it's a one way street. I think it has to be because exactly for the reasons you just said. Although when I think of the typical crossover, I think of ER and Third Watch, where you have a plot line that starts on one of the shows and then ends on the other one, or there's some sort of, you know, cross from both shows to the other one. So I was just mostly just questioning terminology. I agree that Simpsons crossing over into the world of Mulder and Scully might not have ended particularly well. Yeah, Uh, you can do that sort of thing. The way The Simpsons appeared on Family Guy, I mean, yeah, I think it's okay to cross boundaries of animated worlds, but animated and into the live action, no. Probably the closest we saw that is the Halloween episode where Homer goes into the real world at the end. There. Yep. <laughs> I'm somewhere and that where was still I bizarre, don't know where right? I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you imagine doing a whole episode like that? No. I... I, I I'm capable of suspending disbelief, but not that much. I mean, I I have my own limits. And I feel like even that tiny bit of Homer in the real world was almost, I don't know, creepy. I don't think I would have wanted a whole episode of that. (laughs) So before we get in the episode, let's introduce the rest of our uh, posse here. We always have our dependable producer, Kevin Ballantyne. Hey, Kevin. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's good to be here. I hope I'm dependable anyways, but you know. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) consider this your uh, performance review (laughs) and you know no episode of Bose podcast would be complete without a drink and for a drink we need our resident mixologist adam lafrance hey adam welcome 
Hello, it's your maestro mixologist. Your uh, nah, I think that's a stretch. Po- <laughs> <laughs> your potent potable of pals here to join you. Uh, okay, his, but I'm not going to uh, say that because I don't think I could get it out. <laughs> his, <laughs> potable pals. His brother a... from the same mother. Yeah, I use that one already. So you know, <laughs> I like the. Tri- I'm just, I like I like the triple P there. Yeah. I'm trying to help him out. I thought his introduction uh, a little lackluster. Excuse me. Matt's getting blasted tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He may walk off on the job. Yeah, we're going to have a work stoppage here. I'm going to take my mic home. (laughs) Okay, so we're talking about the Springfield Files. Quick synopsis of the episode. It's Friday night. Homer leaves work early to go drinking at Moe's. At the end of the night, having had too many beers, he walks home, taking a shortcut through the woods where he encounters a strange green glowing creature, which he's convinced is an alien. This prompts FBI agents Mulder and Scully to take a trip to Springfield to investigate, but they find no evidence to support Homer's story. He returns the following Friday with Bart, where they capture the alien on video. Next Friday, the entire town turns out to witness the alien themselves firsthand, where it is revealed to just be a delirious and disoriented Mr. Burns. And I believe we have a drink that comes from that episode. So what is that drink, Adam? Oh, the drink. Uh, if you recall, uh, it was a special night. I don't know why. I guess it was just Friday. So he wanted to drink Aren't something special. Aren't all Fridays special? They are yeah. to me. I work Saturdays, so not really, but okay. They are more special with TGIF on ABC. But anyways, no. There's nothing nothing better than that yabba so, dabba do moment at the end of a Friday. Without without Urkel is just, what's the point? Exactly. <laughs> when did that show end? <laughs> I think like 20, nine, late 90s, yeah, 98 like over, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like over 20 years ago, right? Yeah. No, there we go. So 24 now. Oh, close to... Shortly after, I guess, that episode. Yeah. Yeah, so the drink is uh, Homer wanted uh, something special, a fancier beer, and Doof was just not going to cut it. So <laughs> From Sweden. Yeah. yeah from Sweden. So he went with a red tick beer. I think that all drinks taste better when they have an umlaut on the label. That's just me. I think so. Also, it's, it's kind of win-win because Homer gets to try something exotic and Mo gets to charge for an imported beer. That's true. Yeah, kind of like Foster's. We were talking on the Australian episode. <laughs> was it imported because the brewery no. seemed to be seemed to be rat- local enough? Well, I was talking about Doof. He's talk- oh, yeah. Doof, yeah. yes. He was How do we to know sell the Doof so it'd be an internet or an import? How do we know the brewery was local? Like it just did a cut scene, but we don't know where the brewery was. I'm well, assuming they, they, they were speaking English. They didn't have they, an accent. Yeah, no accent. It. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's logic there, right? I, I don't know. Needs more dog. I don't know. Was there an accent there? He needs more dog. Sorry, that sounds sort of Boston. I was going to say, it kind of sounds sounds Boston to me, too. I don't know. It had a Bavarian Bavarian style label, I thought, there. I don't know. Yeah, but in Boston is in America, so I don't really don't count that. I guess they do have semi-imported, as we know, on The Simpsons. That is an option. And we haven't established which state in the United States Springfield is located. So it is possible it's in Massachusetts. I don't know. But do you really care? For the record, when I made the joke about it being imported, I was talking about Doof, which came from Sweden. My bad. So Homer could enjoy something exotic and Mo could get a couple extra bucks out of him by Mm. convincing him that he was buying an imported beer. I don't know. I've never seen Homer pay, so. That's a good (laughs) point. That's true. Presumably he's running up some sort of tab. Like, how is is this? How is this establishment staying in business otherwise? When well, he called in the tabs, they all ran like hell. <laughs> well, we have saw Homer pay, and Home and Mo was surprised that it was real money this time. So it seems that oh, that's right, yes, that yeah. Homer does pay, but he <laughs> yeah. uses some type of other currency. Now this is yeah. way before Bitcoin, so who knows what he was trying to pass off? Montana militia money. <laughs> It'll be real sooner than you think. So I think we're talking about a drink, weren't we? <laughs> I don't. I remember. don't. I don't remember. It's been a while now. <laughs> 
The point that we will eventually get to is it was Friday. It was Friday, which mm. is a great day. Except for you, because you work on Saturdays. Uh, yeah, well, but... Here we go again. Are we coming around? Yeah, again. If you enjoy your job, you never work a day in your life, they say. There's no getting off this merry-go-round. <laughs> I'm just waiting for someone to say the name of the drink. So, Red Tick Beer. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. And I believe this is our least popular drink. I enjoyed it. Did you? It didn't seem like anybody enjoyed it. I mean, it's uh, it was a real challenge, because... You know, it's a beer, and the problem with beer is it's just beer. It's like you open a bottle, open a can, there you go, that's it. And it's not really a lot of effort, you know? It's like we're supposed to make some sort of mix, at least, going to have a few ingredients, you know? Also, I mean, there were challenges involved in in making this recipe because we don't actually know that many dogs. Well, that's uh, what I remember most about this. So uh, not a big fan of the recipe, I admit. Hey, you know, you can't knock them all out of the park. But uh, I was able to include Zoe. Yeah, this is one of the few videos that... uh... Had Zoe made an appearance, and yeah, I have to say, I did like that. We got to pour one out for our late Bose Cavern member Zoe. So, if you know regular listeners are there, uh, we did lose uh, Zoe in 2020, and she was a very loyal member of Bose Cavern. She never missed a meeting. So, and I believe she paid all her dues. <laughs> she did. So, she was uh, up to date. Yeah, she. I, uh, I also believe she didn't really qualify for this drink because, uh, to best of my knowledge, she didn't have ticks. So. Well, yeah, another well. <laughs> She doesn't like taking not. baths, and she doesn't like to swim. So her swimming in a uh, bathtub or vat of beer was not really a good option. <laughs> also, I don't think we really wanted to drink. Maybe that's why the drink no. didn't take off, you know, because it needed more dog. Maybe that we only that's had the one, but but she was a great dog. Yes, we, she, we miss her. She was the best, and yeah, so really do miss her. And uh, but I'm glad that she was in a video. So yeah, the uh, problem, of course, is red tick beer. So of course, what do you put in it? And uh, okay, well, it's got to be some kind of cocktail, right? So it's like, okay, well, how about a cider and a beer? That sounds a cocktail. You got more than one ingredient. And I thought, well, red tick beer, there must be ticks in it. What do we substitute for that? I don't think anyone was anxious to drink ticks. Becoming more popular, like, hey, this could be the trend. People eating insects. Even ticks, you don't hear that as an option for a, for a meal. You know, you hear like, oh, yeah, people have ants, you know, and like. Yeah, you could have gone spider. ants or crickets. Or... Yeah, it's crickets. <laughs> yeah, all these like tarantulas. There's all these insects. Ticks aren't one of them. So I'm like really low on the totem pole for edibility. They might be hard to catch. Though. Nobody wants to get Lyme disease like Miss Hoover had. Exactly, yeah. You ever look at a tick, they're quite disgusting. She never actually had Lyme disease, though. Right, it was psychosomatic. That mm-hmm. meant she was faking. Yeah. If you ever look at a tick, they're quite disgusting. I remember Zoe actually had one on her forehead, and they're they're like 90% butt, which yeah. I don't know oh, what God was thinking when he made those. This really a disgusting creature. He was thinking, I like big butts, and I cannot lie. Perhaps. <laughs> so I'm I went... <laughs> I'm going to hell for that one. <laughs> I'm going to burst into flames. For other things, too. Just to clarify. <laughs> We're all on the highway to hell, you know. Yeah. So, Sorry, Monsignor, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> Matt, just go throw down some Hail Marys or something. <laughs> I'm sure we got a rosary. In the name of the Father somewhere. and the Son. Hey, take it outside. <laughs> take it outside. So, yeah, I thought, okay, well, a tick... You know, insect. I guess we're talking protein here. So I'm like, well, what could we have that adds a protein, but something people like? That people like bacon, bacon bits. That's about the size of a tick. Maybe that'll work. I don't think it really uh, improved the drink. I don't think people were excited about uh, the bacon bits, but they were there. You know, it was, I had to go with something. I was here for it. Truthfully, okay. I like beer. I like bacon. Beer good. Bacon good. 
That's what Red I thought. Red beer, good. Uh, that's what I thought. I, You're I, I thought it wasn't as good as I thought. there with Joey. <laughs> that's what I was going for. <laughs> and the other thing, I'm like, to make it more interesting, I'm like, well, if you have a dog swimming in it, you must have dog hair. And then it's like, okay, well, what would you add to food that could be a substitute for hair? I, I always go with something that's edible. You know, I do, I'm not going to add any kind of hair. I'm not going to add basically what we anything we consider non-edible. And I thought uh, coconut shavings, they kind of look like dog hairs. Remember Zoe had a lot of white fur. She did. Kind of matched her. If uh, think... imagine if we imagine she was the dog swimming around in her vat of beer. I think that would have worked better than hair pasta. <laughs> <laughs> that was an option. Again, yeah, I rejected that. It was it was a big challenge. There, and, there's uh, certain things that go with beer and certain things that do not. So. And so we're saying that bacon does and hair pasta does not? <laughs> uh, I'm on the fence it, on the bacon choice. thing. Just to so be clear. It's, it's a choice. I, I'm on the fence about the bacon thing. Again, As I, thought... if I love bacon, but I don't know if that's what I want I in my beer. I love bacon. I love beer, but, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. I'm fine with people not liking it. I, um, You know what i If you don't like this drink, it's like, yeah, I apologize. I get it. Well, okay. I so... think, you know what? We've ha- I've had other good hits, haven't I? That's what I'm glad about. <laughs> They can't all be Oscars. So what you're saying is everyone's allowed to have a mulligan. Exactly. And And this is yours. I consider it. Yeah, I don't (laughs) think the coconut... uh, I remember I took the drink and it was hard to react because it stuck to my lip and it was just an odd feeling. But This uh, is not a ringing endorsement. It's not, but I... I, This is very anticlimactic. I think it's fair to to admit your, your faults, you know? It's like they can't all be, you know... Maybe I'll, I'll be winners. Maybe I don't think slam, this is... I'll be a slam dunk. Yeah, I don't think I should try and, you know, lie to the audience and sell this as a, hey, this is the greatest okay. ever. Well, let me ask you a question then about the, your choice of beer. What did you go with on this one? I'm going with an uh, oatmeal milk stout. Doing the idea of mixing a cider with beer and a darker beer seemed to pair well mm-hmm. with uh, with a cider. So if we went with a lager, it didn't pair as well. Mm-hmm. So just throwing out a little constructive criticism here, just in doing my research, I did see that there were various microbreweries that did make a red tick version of uh, beer. Oh, they did? One of them being uh, Highland Park Brewery in Los Angeles. Uh, It's discontinued now, but they did a red tick beer, which was an amber ale. And I have to say that when I watch the episode and I hear the name and that, I do think of like a red beer. So that was maybe my thinking, at least in terms of, I don't know if you want to go in a different direction in this to kind of rehabilitate it, but yeah. Kevin, is it too late to redo the video? Can we edit it again? Or uh, can you edit the internet? It, to... it, it's, it's on the YouTube, so it's, it's done. Can you it's edit YouTube, books. you know, can you just, can uh, you phone It's on YouTube? the internet, it's there I, forever. It's on, it's on the interweb, so. Does the internet have a phone number? Can you just, maybe uh, can... I think there's one guy, one guy that takes care of it. Adam, all, so can... we all know the internet's just a series of tubes. I think the <laughs> video was. A list of all the people he needs to call and yeah, tell it's the off. call the baseball, <laughs> the internet. Yeah, exactly. There's got to be a number. Well, it, I guess the video is four years old, if I recall. I think so now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little past the expiration date. It's I done so. for. Oh, okay. I think so. so I'm having a v- three. Three. Maybe there's a little. I think, little I think everyone's everyone who's going to see it has seen it. Two to three years. We got some. There's a bit of a gray area, right? Maybe yeah. we can fit it in, but now for. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that's a good suggestion. And, uh, you know, if I have a time machine, that's an option. <laughs> Probably should use it on something more important. But Probably. I think Bo's Cavern is worth it. Okay. But I will say tonight I'm having a, let's call it a vegan version of this because I'm doing the beer and the cider without the bacon and also have excluded the coconut. But, you know, it's actually not too bad. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm not sold on the bacon thing, but uh, just just That's fair. the dark beer and the cider together. Oh, it's not bad. Okay, we'll get into the episode. So like I said at the beginning, I'm a really big X-Files fan. And How big? 
super big. Super big. I was watching it right from the beginning when it aired. Whoa. <laughs> before it was cool. I have to say, okay, it probably wasn't really cool. But uh, no, no so X-Files first aired uh, September 10th, 1993 on the fledgling Fox network. Uh, it just been launched seven years earlier and they were desperate for a hit at the time something to set themselves apart from the the, the other three big networks uh, so they brought in chris carter who up until that time had primarily worked on disney comedies so this was certainly a, a departure for him this show I mean, there were a lot of inspirations behind it. He was inspired by the Twilight Zone, which The Simpsons has too, I think. They made a lot of Twilight Zone references over the years. Uh, Night Gallery, which they did a parody of that on Treehouse of Horror 4. Bart walks through the, the gallery of all the different ones to introduce the various episodes there. Twin Peaks. I've never watched Twin Peaks personally. Oh, I, you should. Yeah? It's okay. great. Without having seen Twin Peaks, I do know that The Simpsons has made references to the show. Yes. Um, most notably... Uh, part two of Who Shot Mr. Burns, where Chief Wiggum is in the Red Room and Lisa's talking backwards and that. So Twin Peaks, which just premiered a few years before X-Files and kind of changed television because now it was more of a more cinematic in terms of its presentation, which was really new for television. And yeah, X-Files kind of jumped on that too. So you're not seeing your standard kind of television here. Can I raise a point of order yeah. about something you said earlier? At what point did Fox cease to be a fledgling network? Because the year is 1993, and Fox still has a number of hits on by now. They've got Married with Children. They've got Beverly Hills 90210, In Living Color, and a little show called The Simpsons. At what point did they cease to be a fledgling network? I think they're I still... Often, a I, I just often hear this word associated with them. And I, 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 my question really is, is when did they find their groove okay so they they launched seven years prior to the x-files so i don't know we can debate whether they were still at that point fledgling or not you make a very good point yes they did have a lot of these shows and certainly at this point in fox's history x-files and the simpsons were two of their biggest shows so the idea of doing a crossover seemed like a natural idea actually apparently according to the commentary on this one this is one of the episodes that had the longest production time or at least the time between the initial concept and the final production because it just it was something that it took a while for them to work out how to do makes sense and i imagine i i seem to recall that um it took a while for them to really come up with an explanation for the alien yeah i think initially they were going to leave it just unresolved okay so oh he had a supernatural strange encounter what was it who knows? So the viewers would never know whether Homer was right or Homer was a dope. <laughs> correct. That's true. You know, there would always be lingering doubt between was he correct or was he a dope? So <laughs> turns out he's a dope, I guess. I, I feel like public opinion would always lean towards the dope. But the last inspiration that I wanted to talk about for this, sorry, for the X-Files at least, was a little show called Kolchak the Night Stalker. Didn't last very long. It appeared in uh, 1974. There were only 20 episodes. It was a continuation of TV movie The Night Stalker from 1972, followed by The Night Strangler from 1973. Starring Darren McGavin, who actually later made a uh, guest appearance on The X-Files. But this about a um, newspaper reporter who investigates some bizarre, unexplained phenomenon. So it started with The Night Stalker, which was a story about a serial killer in Las Vegas who was a vampire. So you can kind of see where it sounds very much like The X-Files there. It was based on a novel written by Jeff Rice, which is adapted by Richard Matheson 
who had a long history of writing for The Twilight Zone and also wrote the story with I Am Legend, which has been adapted various times, including to The Omega Man, which was then parodied as The Omega Man in <laughs> Treehouse of Horrors. Everything comes full circle eventually. It does. What else? He wrote The Terror at 20,000 Feet on the Twilight Zone, which was then later adapted to Terror at Three and a Half Feet with the gremlin on the bus right. there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Richard Matheson, yes, he had a lot of influence in some very prominent episodes of the Twilight Zone, which have been references made to it, parodied in that, mm-hmm. particularly through The Simpsons there. So I was going back to, yes, X-Files, I think, was unlike anything else on TV at that time. It was dark. It was scary. It was sexy. It was smart. Like, it, there was just a lot going on there. Of course, what I think helped propel the the show into the, the, the pop culture there was the, the casting of David Duchovny as Fox Mulder and Gillian Anderson as Dana Scully, because these two just seem to have a lot of strong chemistry Absolutely. when they were cast. Yeah, I mean, they both came from, I think, relatively nothing in terms of their previous credit. And they just formed a really iconic duo, you know, that's mm-hmm. uh, kind of, you know, existed outside the, the show itself. So Taylor, you're the one that put me on to uh, History of the 90s podcast, wonderful podcast. There was one episode where they talked about the X-Files. And that's actually, I think, one of their better episodes there that they've done. So if you know, you haven't uh, in podcast land listened to History of the 90s, I do recommend that, especially the X-Files episode that they did. 90s was a good decade. I don't remember that episode. I remember the one they did about Twin Peaks. And that's kind of inspired me to to go and uh, give the show a try. The show comes back in a limited run 25 years later, and that one's pretty solid. So You know what? I never actually watched the limited run that came back. Okay. Um, I often feel skeptical when when something goes off the air and then comes back that it can recapture the magic of the original. So that's one that I actually never uh, never gave it a fair shot. So on that, like the X-Files ran for nine seasons on Fox. David Duchovny actually left the show after season seven, or at least he wasn't a, a regular on the show. After the show ended, it did come back then for a two-season run on Netflix. And you know, at, at first it was kind of good to see Mulder and Scully back. Maybe had some of the elements, some of the magic from the show. Maybe not quite to the same extent that it did initially. So yeah, it's really hit and miss, I think, on that, trying to bring something back, trying to revive it after so much time has passed. I think it's especially hard when something was kind of so culturally significant in its time. It's hard to recapture that magic later on. Oh, absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah, X-Files, I think I I was a fan of the show right from the beginning. Actually, I'll say that uh, Gillian Anderson was probably my first celebrity teenage crush there. Many years later, as time passes, when eventually goes on to play Margaret Thatcher, is uh, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a kick yeah, in the gut. Yeah, yep. we're in a safe space, right? Okay, so that that, that was my uh, moment of confession there, my moment of truth. You know what? Scully may have been the first crush for lots of adolescent boys in the '90s, but she was also a really great role model for girls at the same time, especially girls going into the sciences. Absolutely. So, actually, if you go and listen to the History of the '90s podcast, one of the things they talk about is the Scully effect. So, the impact that the character Dana Scully who in the show was, in addition to being an FBI agent, was a medical doctor. And this apparently, in survey, many women highlighted the importance of the character on TV in influencing them to go into STEM programs. So this is what they refer to as the Scully effect. I just want to say, Matt, uh, don't worry, we won't judge you for not being a fan of Margaret Thatcher. I believe she's rated... England's worst prime minister in modern times. The she got number one for when most people ask who is her worst, who's UK's worst prime minister. So back to the X Files. Yes, <laughs> where we talked about 
Scully being a, a strong feminist icon there is um, what was unprecedented in this show probably is the gender role reversal in that Scully was the skeptic, whereas Mulder was the, the believer. He was the more emotional one. Yeah. She was the more rational, logical one. So you know, when you compare that to previous shows, that's certainly a reversal. And I think you saw with the Dana Scully character that that kind of carried forward in other later police procedural type shows like the CSI shows, Bones. So, order. Yeah. So this was really a, a landmark show. Now, when it gets to the crossover with The Simpsons there, I think they did an absolutely great job of translating the characters of Mulder Scully into the animated Simpsons world. Like the the animation on that, how they, they drew the characters was it was spot on, yeah. It was, and so was the the voice acting. Like I, I get the sense that it might be harder as an actor who's used to working, you know, in a visual medium to have to convey everything you need to convey using just your voice. Yes. If they then go into, um, you know, a voice only role, I, I have certain like heard or seen um, actors that are great actors, but you get them into say like a recording studio to record voices and. They just can't do it. Like it's just it falls flat. Yeah. yeah. And I'd say with um, like Gillian Anderson and um, David Duchovny, they did an amazing job on you know just the voice act. Yeah, I think they really took their X Files characters and they translated that very well into the voice acting. Yeah, and especially kind of Gillian Anderson's deadpans. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we didn't talk about this on the softball episode, but um, when it came to all the players coming in to do their their voice acting, apparently Ken Griffey Jr. had a lot of problems delivering his lines. Yep. Is actually his father, who I guess they were playing on the same team at the time. They were on the, on the Mariners. He had to come in and help him son with the lines there so you know some people i guess the voice acting comes natural and others no uh i i'm not aware of any previous voice acting credits to either actor anderson or Duchovny, but yeah they nailed it mm -hmm. this is um you know somewhat related but i always think of the we are the world music video um and bob dylan and he was apparently just completely unable to sing his part in that bigger group and had to he basically had to be coached through it the same way that Ken Griffey Jr. did. Okay. I think that uh, I guess, yeah. going into a different medium can certainly be a challenge. Well, I mean, I, I guess, like, yeah, singing with a group of people is much different than singing on your own, I guess. Well, he was singing a solo part, but he just couldn't oh. He just couldn't hit the notes that he needed oh, okay. to hit. Yeah. And uh, apparently well, when, he finally, when he finally got it right, the whole room cheered. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Well, on this episode, let's not forget that there was also another great voice talent, uh, of course, the voice of Leonard Nimoy of Star Trek fame. The late, great uh, Leonard Nimoy. The late, great Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock. But actually, his, uh, and this was the second appearance on The Simpsons. He had previously appeared on Marge versus the Monorail in season four. That actually was originally supposed to be George Takei. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who had previously appeared as Akira, oh. the, the sushi chef. But yeah, yeah because that, because he's already been on The Simpsons, he didn't want to appear again. And, yeah. you know, they got Leonard Nimoy playing himself. And now Leonard Nimoy was back for this episode where he starts off doing the narration for the episode. And that was a parody of a show he did before called In Search Of, which was from uh, 1972 to 82. It was on for six seasons. So that started out as three one-hour TV documentaries by Alan Landsberg. And that was originally voiced by Rod Sterling, who then passed away. And so when this went to a TV series, 
it was Leonard Nimoy that did it. And they did episodes like, you know, In Search of the Bermuda Triangle or Atlantis or Bigfoot, Loch Ness, UFOs, aliens. So his his presentation at the beginning uh, and then later, you know, the whole keep watching the skies or I guess skis, <laughs> as it was said in this. Yeah, that was all linked to In Search of. And we were talking before about the voice performances of Duchovny and Anderson. So you recall the scene after it's revealed, or at least, you know, when they go looking for the alien and they don't find anything. And his little speech there about all the unexplained phenomenon there, the the unsolved mysteries of unsolved mysteries. <laughs> so for recording that, apparently the producers just gave him a mic and let him just go on. And he went on for like two hours until he ran out of steam, <laughs> just coming wow. up with all sorts of random stuff, just total stream of consciousness. That's yeah. devotion. And yeah, also, how do you decide pretty... what, you know, t- 30 second soundbite you're going to use out of two hours? That's true. I, That's true. I, I don't yeah. know. So I don't know what was originally <laughs> Scripted? I'd be curious to hear that. Well, maybe not the whole two hours. But I'd be curious to hear what he came up with. Definitely, I would. I would love to hear that. I am happy with what they did have because that bit about the unsolved mysteries. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah, yeah, unsolved I don't know if you guys watched unsolved, unsolved mysteries. mysteries ever. Oh or... my gosh! I, I just, I, I, I so wish Robert Stack were still still with us. As as a kid, they always scared me. Like those unsolved mysteries. Oh, me too. Me Jesus. too. So unsolved mysteries was a really weird thing because they focused a lot on like unsolved crimes, missing persons, and then they threw in that unexplained phenomenon yes. stuff, UFOs, Bigfoot, yeah, there, there was one here in Ottawa. Yes, there was. Yeah. So, you know, you know, Ottawa's claim to fame was, there, the, the Guardian. It was right down the road from where my cousins lived, actually. What was it? Uh, I don't West Carlton. It was West Carlton, uh, Mannion, Mannion Corners is the place. Like, Was it a crime? No, or? no, 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 no. It was a UFO. A UFO. UFO. Okay. Yes, yes. So this was in 1989. Yes. Uh, it went on uh, Unsolved Mysteries in 93. Yeah, it was much. Yeah. And, and it was a case where uh, there was a UFO or a purported UFO captured on video. And this was out in West Carlton here in Ottawa. So yeah, that's a bit of our our claim to fame there. Ottawa made it on Unsolved Mysteries. And this became like called the Guardian Tapes because that was something that was like labeled on the VHS tape. And and there were all sorts of other documents in that. that, But like they said, like all these are all these forgeries because there's all these mistakes in that. But they had trouble kind of debunking the video because they weren't quite sure how to film. Yeah, it it did turn out to be completely fake, obviously. But no, I agree with you about some of that stuff terrified me. Was anybody? else really into these shows that just freaked us out when we were kids like i used to watch a ton of um america's most wanted oh (laughs) like i was that another robert stack or no no that wasn't robert stack that was john walsh so actually between part one and part two so just before part two of who shot mr burns they made an appearance on america's most wanted yes yeah or or they did like a special special, they did a special they did a special on america's most wanted about who shot mr burns i I mean i'm sure that's a conversation for another episode but i seem to recall that you know there was some criticism there about whether that was kind of detracting from the point of america's most wanted or or kind of a bad look so, I mean, I never really understood with Unsolved Mysteries how like, they did have this kind of focus on crime and then suddenly, you know, hey, UFOs, ghosts, <laughs> Bigfoot, whatever. Well, I think I remember- they were just trying to, uh, you know, appeal to a very broad audience. I don't know. It the really big, ran the camera there. But, yeah. I, re- I remember being at a friend's place, like as, as much as like, uh, scared of Unsolved Mysteries as I was at a friend's place and um, like they had it on the TV and I was like hiding behind a chair look, looking the other way. Like I wasn't like cowering but i started looking the other way and then one of them asked me like can you see i'm like yeah i'm fine <laughs> i picture you cowering <laughs> maybe i was cowering i can't remember <laughs> hey so this episode it starts out it's friday night right and 
there's something I just really love about looking back on these episodes. Like this one was 25 years ago, but all these 90s references just make me so nostalgic. So, I mean, it starts out, one of the things Lisa says how it's uh, ABC's TGIF night. And <laughs> so I had to go back and look it up. So uh, at that time that the episode aired, TGIF, the lineup, which ran um, from September 89 to September 2000 uh, from the 8 to 10 slot, would have included Family Matters, Boy Meets World, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is totally different from the current Sabrina that we have on oh, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Step by Step. And of course, after TJF, it was followed by 2020 with Hugh Downs, and Barbara, Barbara Walters, Walters. Yeah, and Diane Sawyer. <laughs> That's a pretty solid lineup. And the day before was uh, NBC's Must See Thursday. I can't remember. True, yeah. That included Friends and ER and uh, Seinfeld, Seinfeld at the time. Yeah. Yep. I recall uh, somehow like it was Seinfeld at eight and Friends at nine, the most uh, top rated shows on TV, yet 8.30 slot had a lot of trouble. You kept <laughs> switching shows. They kept getting canceled. Hmm. You need that, you need that uh, slot to, you know, go to the washroom, get a snack. I guess I wouldn't turn their TV off for that half an hour. <laughs> Maybe there's something better on another network at that point? I don't know. They got time until Friends comes on. And, and So I mentioned in our lineup, we had Family Matters, which of course was where the character Steve Urkel came from. So later when, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but when Homer goes to the police station to report the alien sighting, it's like, and he appears every Friday night, like Urkel. <laughs> He's got a sweet and heavenly voice, like, like Urkel. <laughs> Yet in another episode, Homer hated Urkel. So Urkel was an interesting phenomenon he was a very then. he was a very polarizing character you either loved him or you hated him so i remember people that would just despise him and yet other people love like i remember with my grandfather he'd always like anytime urkel came on he would be laughing the entire time he was on the scene like just homer was i guess polarizing himself he exactly. both loved him and hated him <laughs> exactly yes so yeah. he was his he, own uh... he, he had all his bases covered yeah <laughs> but no uh he was certainly a polarizing character so he was originally brought in as a one-shot character about uh right. midway through the first season and he became an instant hit with the audience like, and so you know what they did is they went and immediately rewrote some of the existing scripts they already had to add him yeah. in they like filmed <laughs> some sequences that they could then add to the uh, the intro of the show because they're just like hey people like him we have to make him more of the show and then eventually the show pretty much transitioned away from you know focusing on the Winslow family to focusing on their next door neighbor <laughs> yeah. Steve Urkel uh, he is he is the epitome of breakout character yes like <laughs> Yes, yeah. with his uh, catchphrases, did I do yeah. that? I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> yeah. But among those who liked him, he was very popular. He had his own line of breakfast cereal, Urkelos. Oh, yeah? <laughs> there were like pull string dolls. Uh, and of course, there was the Urkel dance, which I kind of oh, put yes. as like analogous to the way we had, you know, do the Bartman. Or the Carlton. Yes. Or the Carlton. So all around that same time there, uh, you know, you've established a dance, you know, and, and, you know, based on some character. It kind of becomes a bit of a, you know, brief phenomenon there. So, you know, 15 minutes of fame, whatever. Reminiscent to uh, The Simpsons, that happened all the time. They would uh, write a one-time character, sometimes just for one joke. Like, they're, yeah, in, a, they're like, in a scene for 30 seconds. It's like, you know, we like, have a punchline. Uh, disco Stew. Yeah, Disco Stew. Gil. Disco Stew wasn't even supposed to be in the episode. They just, yeah. they had the jacket, the um, joke about how he rhinestoned his jacket and ran out of space. And then one of the writers said, hey, can we create a Disco Stew? And they said, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, there was uh, Captain McAllister. 
for the new kid on the block mm-hmm. where he was just supposed to run the uh, all-you-can-eat fish restaurant to the Frying Dutchman. Well, it started out on the right. Tracy Ullman show with just the core family Simpsons characters there. And then when we went to the show, they had a bit of a supporting cast and it's just grown exponentially over the years. Yeah. And it pretty much completely composed of one-time characters, right? So who apparently had more life. I think we talked about this on which episode was it? With Senior Ding Dong. Oh, the, yeah. The um, convoy episode. The Max, convoy Max, episode. Max the convoy episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Senior Ding Dong, who's like there just for that, you know, resolve that plot point there. And then <laughs> he ended up being in like three more episodes. And just, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird how the one-time characters. How about, uh, was Groundskeeper Willie? I believe he was, uh, I thought he was written for one episode. I'm not sure. I mean, I know uh, his first and appearance, then... I believe, is the one where like Skitter dates Patty. Yeah, was that his first appearance, that and appearance? wasn't that as yeah? And he was written because they're like because Bart does the prank where he um Although, you know, he writes his he writes like you know he writes words like on the lawn he burns the lawn basically kills yeah. the grass and then of course you know Willie is the one who has to uh, fix it. And That's what they wrote him for that episode. Originally, and, it was going to be a Spanish character or something like that, or and then yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say this about the actor who played Steve Urkel, Julia White. He obviously became typecast because of this. Oh, yeah. And apparently he completely disillusioned at the end of the show with the character. And he was quoted as saying, if you ever see me do that character again, take me out and put a bullet in my head and put me out of my misery. So that's how much at the <laughs> end of the show wow. he, he hated the character. Do you think uh, there'll be a reboot or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, they reboot everything now. Yeah, yeah. So. Most of the cast had no problem with the character, even though they all kind of ended up in his shadow there. Except for uh, Joe Marie Payton who played the mother figure, uh, Henry Winslow, who was originally a character on the show Perfect Strangers, and then Family Matters was a spin-off. Yeah, Yeah. and apparently Jaleel White's the only cast member she won't speak with. Because she absolutely hated the character because she felt the show kind of jumped the shark when it became focused on him, and yeah, she she eventually left the show. Like So, yeah, there's some tension. I sort of thought it jumped the shark when I think they started to do those, like... He had like the science experiments. Came, yeah, it became very more sci-fi kind of guy. And I was just like, eh, yeah. Stefan oh, yeah. Urkel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 He kept inventing machines, which were became the sort of plot point of an episode. So yeah. it um, really moved out of reality there. Yeah. Where uh, he's like Doc Brown all of a sudden with some crazy invention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. So what else was going on Friday? Millhouse was at the arcade playing the Waterworld game where he put in like, you know, 40 quarters and it immediately took two steps and then, you know, game over and served 40 more. (laughs) I think this was a reference. Okay, Waterworld 1995 film that at that time had the biggest movie budget ever. 175 million. 175 million. So adjusted for inflation, that's 292 million. It was quickly surpassed though because... Two years later, we had Titanic. Oh, yeah. Uh, so now it rests number 12 in terms of most expensive movies made, adjusted for inflation. The most expensive one is Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides at $435 million. But uh, wow. like Titanic, the one that came, like I imagine it made back that money, but I so don't think Waterworld did. It though. did eventually. Did it? Okay. It did eventually from the theater release international video oh, okay. and all that. Yeah, but okay. no. Titanic... Big budget, biggest budget at the time. So, yeah. you know, it surpassed uh, within a couple of years Waterworld. But eh, Titanic was certainly a critical and commercial success. And there's not really a point of comparison between the two. But just all to say that as time has gone on, it's fell from number one to now number 12. And I'm sure it'll just continue to fall farther down the list. Was not uh, James Cameron's Avatar the most expensive uh, movie no, budget? No, it was I... most successful. I think the thing most about successful. Avatar is that it, cost... it was mostly CG. 
I thought it was. You yeah. really should call Avatar an animated movie because it's pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys watch Waterworld ever? I, I saw it, I saw like, it a long once. time ago. I saw it in theaters I, once. Yeah. 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 I don't think I remember much about it at all. It's it's not that memorable a movie. It's pretty mediocre. My biggest beef with it though is the science because the whole plot of it is that global warming, the polar ice caps have melted, the Earth is flooded, and now there's no dry land and everyone lives in the water. The only spot of land left is the summit of Mount Everest. So Mount Everest, eight point eight kilometers above sea level. So let's just say that they leave at least half a kilometer there. In order for the water level of the Earth to raise to that, they would need 4.6 billion cubic kilometers of water, which is three times more than all the water that is currently on the planet Earth. Earth. (laughs) If all the land-based glaciers were to melt, the ocean level would rise approximately 66 meters. So, I'm sorry. I'm a fan of science. Not 8.8 the com- kilometers. The, the plot of this is just completely ridiculous. So, what else did we have? At, uh, I think it was at the arcade where they had Donkey Kong there. It's like, you oh, know, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Nintendo character from 81. I did like that. It's just like, you know, you're just not drawing them in like you used to. And he throws <laughs> the barrel. And says, you still got it. Yeah, you still got it. <laughs> Poor Donkey Kong. I don't know. I, I, I liked, oh, again, I, back to the nostalgia. I liked playing the original Donkey Kong game that introduced yeah, Mario yeah. as well with you yeah. know, the yeah. barrels and all that. Was, that yeah. You know what? Dr- Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. Highly recommended. Hmm? I've sunk a lot of hours into that game. <laughs> I, mine was the uh, Donkey Kong Country in um, on Super Nintendo. Right on. Uh, I, I mentioned before how there seems to be a lack of a, uh, competent professionals. I mean, look what uh, Dr. Hibbert, he just left Hans Molman in the x-ray machine there. <laughs> <laughs> or Jasper Beardley at the retirement home gets the wrong pills. Thank God oh, it's yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's Friday. All right. I feel pills. bad for Hans Molman. So he always uh, misfortune always comes it's true. upon Hans Molman, and he it's not deserving. So Homer, he has a few too many to drink at Moe's. He ends up walking home. He has a strange encounter with some sort of glowing green creature in the woods, which starts up with the X Files theme. So this is our first, you know, introduction to the the crossover elements. Actually, what's interesting about this, you know, it's billed as a crossover. If you actually look at the screen time or the actual time in the episode with Mulder and Scully, there's only like four minutes out of a 24-minute episode. It doesn't surprise me. I think that when it comes to kind of the the, the star power that comes from certain guest stars, um, less is really more. And I think it's easy for those characters to kind of be overused. But also, I think that... They really can carry an episode with actually not very much dialogue. Yeah. We were talking about the baseball episode, and I read that each of those players only recorded for about five minutes. Uh, So after Homer sees the alien, I guess he's not largely believed by people. Lisa's bit with, you know, Junior Skeptic Magazine there and the the (laughs) odds of sealing an alien... What was it? 175 million to one. I love that. I would totally have been a kid that read Junior Skeptic Magazine. <laughs> so actually, this is interesting. Skeptic Magazine, 1992 is a quarterly science education advocacy magazine. There was no Junior Skeptic Magazine, but they introduced a section in it after this episode. <laughs> so like within that. Skeptic Magazine, there was a, a like a 10 page section called Junior Skeptic. Because I love of that. This. Yeah. We, I, I don't that's know. Great. I don't know if that's uh, if, I don't know what's gone on with Skeptic Magazine in the last 25 years or if that's still a thing. But frankly, we need more of that today. I've never read it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, to my knowledge, it still exists. Yeah. Was this also the episode? Because you're talking about magazines. Was this also the episode that had the um, better homes than yours? 
Yes, I think that was with Marge. Yes, yes. And, it started out, the, closed and, out. And then they zoom out, and of course the place is a mess, and there's what? Bad cat, bad dog, <laughs> bad, bad fawn. Yeah. <laughs> well, still on this magazine. So there were a lot of references to uh, the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the Steven Spielberg film with uh, Richard Dreyfuss from 1977. There was Jimbo with his... Uh, Alien dude need two tickets to Pearl Jam sign. I don't. Did you watch the movie or? Close Encounters of the Third Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you remember the mountain in there, uh, Devil Tower or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was on the cover of the Junior Skeptic magazine that uh, Lisa was reading. Oh, nice. Yes. We've seen other references to that because in that movie where Richard Dreyfuss' character is making the little sculpture with the mashed potatoes there of the mountain, (laughs) they did that in Homie the Clown. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but there are a lot of references to Close Encounters. Like they call it, you know, Close Encounters of the the Blurred Kind when the video footage. uh, They did have uh, Mr. Largo with the elementary school band and they play the five note theme from it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the movie, so I just loved all those references. I loved all the sci-fi references that they made in this. We had the lineup with the aliens, which included Marvin Martian, you know, the Looney Tunes character, <laughs> first oh, appeared in 48. Very angry. <laughs> Classic line. I love that line. We had Gort from the 1951 film The Day the Earth Stood Still. We had some Rigelian. I don't know if it's Kang or Kodos or Serac or some other unnamed Rigelian, but I think this is one of the very rare non-Halloween episodes where yeah. we get one of the aliens from Rigel 7. Uh, and Alf, of course. And from, Chewbacca, right? And Chewbacca. Oh, yes. And Chewbacca. We had... Because he also appears you, at the end. Because Chewbacca along. appears at the end later when they're all singing uh, Good Morning Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably the most random song they could have picked. <laughs> what, I, I don't think I'd ever heard it before this episode. I know it comes from the musical Hair. It's not something I've seen. I was but... aware of it, but yeah. So uh, the actor who does the voice of Alf, he was disappointed he wasn't asked to, oh, yeah, to voice on the episode. Him. Yeah, that's true. They could have asked him. Well, I figured because it was just one syllable, yo, is all he said. And I guess they thought they've already have three three celebrities yeah. on this. I guess it wasn't really worth the effort to. True, true. They've They're had like... Alf on quite a few times on the show. B-Sharp's episode, he was on the cover of Us magazine. Oh, that's right, yeah. He came What's back in Pog it? form when Bart sells his <laughs> Oh, yeah, soul. yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. So they really um, rubbed The it. Mayor t- <laughs> to the really Mob episode it. with Mark Hamill, he was uh, one of the guests at Bymon oh, Sci-Fi yeah. Con. <laughs> so what you're saying is they had several opportunities where they could have hired the actor that's right. and refused. Boy, really rubbing salt in that wound. There. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, yeah, very much so. I don't know, maybe the writers have something against uh, <laughs> Them there. But I, I did, yes, I like the delivery of the lines by the actors there, especially Gillian Anderson. That bit where Mulder wants to go investigate this, goes to Springfield, and she's like, you know, what about the shipment of drugs and illegal weapons coming into New Jersey? <laughs> and, and Mulder says, you know, the FBI is hardly concerned with something like that. He's not wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's the DEA yeah. for drugs. And uh, ATF. And ATF. For, alcohol, for, for alcohol tobacco, and uh, firearms. Yeah, Mulder was right. Mulder was right. <laughs> I don't see anyone selling Mulder as a dope shirts, do you? <laughs> we sold out of those in long ago. <laughs> so I think one reason I like this episode is there are so many quotable moments. Oh, yeah. Blue M&M, red M&M. They all went up the same color. <laughs> what else was there? Oh, yes. Leonard Nimoy is the narrator for this episode. And then at the end of Act Two, he's just like, you know, closes the book and says, like, oh, we still got 10 more minutes. Like, 
<laughs> when he runs out car. there, let me see what's in my car. And just, I don't think he's coming back. I love that. I quote that one all the time. I don't think he's coming back. Sorry, Marge says that uh, Homer's not listening to him. He's like, thanks. I'd love an omelet. <laughs> oh, I've used that one. Yeah. I, I have used I have that used one. That one. I, like, I like, was the alien carbon based or silicon based? <laughs> uh, I, the second one, silicone. I've used that too. Yeah. He, he's also apparently Santa Claus. Yes. <laughs> and actually, the continuation of the joke when Bart and Homer go out to the woods to capture him on film and, and all the camping gear has, you know, property of Ned Flanders on there. And so <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that part there later is like, were you on my roof last night stealing my weather vane? This interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> and the weather vane falls to the ground. I love that they continued that joke there. Well, that, I noticed great. this group has uh, quoted the Homer's a dope t-shirt several times. Oh, sure. So I'd say that's... Uh, I quoted in line. I definitely used to own a Homer as a dope t-shirt. I probably still do somewhere. So you remember in that scene, Marge and Maggie show up. They're wearing the you know Homer as a dope shirts. And she's saying how great they are. Because they're 100% cotton. Look at the fine stitching on dope. <laughs> and, that. and he turns around to the guy and says, I'll take two. Like, previously, he had already said, we sold out of those. So there was a deleted scene where he says, I told you we sold out of those. But they cut that. And so we're left with that discontinuity of he just said they don't have any more they sold out and homer's trying to buy them so it would have resolved the continuity there i think the audience is aware that homer is dumb and that's the explanation for why he tried to order a shirt that is clearly sold out rumor has it he's a dope so i think the other reference i wanted to mention when bart and homer make this plan to go out and try and uh, record the alien and he says, what happens if we don't see anything? We'll fake it and sell it to the Fox Network. <laughs> so that was a reference to Alien Autopsy, Factor Fiction, which appeared on Fox in 1995, hosted by Jonathan Frakes, which claimed oh. to have like that 17-minute black and white footage, which was supposed to be a medical examination of an alien that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Yeah, because, you know, the Fox Network, they'll buy anything, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> the alien autopsy video i remember watching it with my brother when i was a kid and it you know i was a kid but it freaked me out <laughs> freaked me out too so yeah. yeah even as a kid i was a little skeptical i mean i won't oh, it was, it's totally fake but i'm yeah. very much a molder you know i want to believe but even <laughs> as a child i had a little trouble buying into this like they had a bunch there. of experts on there to kind of talk about it like stan winston who's an academy award-winning makeup artist and he said later how they kind of cut his uh, interview there to make it sound like he's agreeing that oh, this would yeah. be hard to fake and he's like no no that's not what i said at all kind of thing but yeah, no, it turned out the whole video was, of course, faked. I mean, back to, you know, Fox would buy anything. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about speed at the beginning, oh, which I think yeah, is yeah, another yeah. one of the great <laughs> quotes from the episode where Homer does the whole thing, feeding in the VCR into the video camera, and they use a tape of them from like the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> but the best part was when he's, you know, using the word speed and describing the movie he saw. And then I think it was called The Bus That Couldn't Slow Down, <laughs> which would have been a good title for the movie, right? It was a great. I, I loved Speed when it came out. I mean, uh, I think that with the along with the point break helped establish Keanu Reeves as a, an action star. And it, yeah. it gave us all Sandra Bullock. Absolutely. It's one of those great action movies from the 90s that actually i think still is very watchable today especially because of uh, dennis hopper's performance as the yeah. villain there yeah if you guys are up for it we can get into a round of trivia there yeah lay it sure. on us yeah and of course you listening at home feel free to play along 
So first question, Lisa's excited for Friday night because it's ABC's TGIF night. What are the other two nights that Bart mentions Taylor? We talked about one of them earlier, NBC's Must See Thursday and Saturday night's Crapperama. On which network? Oh. Hmm. There's not that many well, networks. Well, a- ABC? No, no. No, no. TJF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, because yeah. so, uh, NBC is the Thursday night, and then it'd be CBS is uh, CBS. Saturday. Okay, so partial credit CBS. to Taylor, yeah. partial credit to Kevin. As there's, I guess there's only what three major networks in the states. I mean, besides, I yeah, guess Fox, I but... and I and I went with the wrong. One. <laughs> okay, the episode starts because Homer has too much to drink, so he has to walk home from Moe's. How many beers did Homer have? It was twelve. No, nope. sorry, eleven. No. Adam? Uh, 10 beers. 10 beers is oh. correct. Do you remember what time he went home at? Oh. Uh, I, well. <laughs> Taylor. 1 a.m. to spend a little quality time with the kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. Good, good. <laughs> and so follow-up question on this. He, Mo made him take a breathalyzer before he left. How drunk was Homer according to the breathalyzer? Yes. Kevin. Uh, Boris Yeltsin. Boris Yeltsin. <laughs> Does anybody remember the other levels on the breathalyzer? Okay. I'm not seeing a lot of hands no, here. No, I, I, re- I recall Tipsy. It starts out with Tipsy. Yeah. Soused. Stinkin'. And then Boris Yeltsin. <laughs> and I love the music. Like, wah, 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 wah. Okay, number three. According to Homer, who is beer for? That's for daddies and kids with fake IDs. Awesome. So later, when Dana Scully is putting Homer through various medical tests, according to her, what is his jiggling fat like? I think Taylor got that. It's like a lava lamp. <laughs> It's hypnotic. <laughs> it's hypnotic. Just like a lava lamp. Just like a lava lamp. I think that was one of the best lines that she delivered, <laughs> yeah. right? Just yeah. completely deadpan. She sounds yeah. so, yeah. like, yeah. far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when they go out to the field with Homer, they don't find the alien. They do find Grandpa, who apparently went for the morning paper and got lost. How long had he been out there for? Adam? If I recall, it was three days. It was four days, was and a turtle got a hold of his teeth. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I recall the turtle eye. Uh, you didn't ask about that. Okay. I think Taylor said this one already. Number six, Jimbo is holding up a sign. What does the sign say? Alien dude, need two tickets to Pearl Jam. Who doesn't? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Okay, was he selling Pearl Jam or is he saying he needs Pearl Jam tickets? I believe he was saying he needs two tickets. Yeah. Okay. I had Pearl Jam tickets right before COVID happened. Oh, yeah? I'm still bitter. Are they mm-hmm. coming back? I, I don't know. I A friend of mine had bought them, so I'm not sure if they canceled the show or or what but uh, i haven't heard anything no i hope for you that they uh, put the show on yeah it'd be nice okay so this whole episode resolves with it turns out the alien or the creature is not an extraterrestrial it is mr burns after he receives a series of medical treatments every friday night meant to cheat death for another week so what were the four procedures that he undergoes every friday Do you have to go in order doesn't matter the order just try and get all four um Taylor? Eye drops. Yes. yes. Painkillers. Yes. Yes. Um, his chiropractors do an adjustment. Spinal adjustment. Yeah. And, oh, and then, he then. has a vocal cord scraping. Correct. Yes. This won't hurt at all. Until I jam it down, down your, your throat. throat. <laughs> Which is why when he leaves, he is disoriented. Uh, it explains his strange appearance except for the green glow, which is a result of him spending a lifetime in a nuclear power plant. How convenient. Yeah, go ahead. No, I thought that was going to be a question. No, that's not going to be a question. <laughs> I was like, I know, I know. <laughs> no, no. I'm just, that's commentary. <laughs> I know. Uh, this one I get also came up, so yeah. But according to Homer, what is the alien made of? Silophone. Oh. Sorry, I didn't raise my hand. Silophone. <laughs> Disqualify. How rude. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, oh, this one came up too. Damn it. Oh, well. So you know what? The, the Number 10 is a two-parter. I'm just going to split them into two questions. So number nine, when the FBI is interviewing Homer, how does he say the evening began? Taylor. The evening began at the Gentleman's Club where we were discussing Wittgenstein over a game of backgammon. So then number 10, how did the evening actually start once he realized that lying to the FBI is a felony? <laughs> They were sitting in Barney's car eating packets of mustard. You happy? <laughs> Very happy. <laughs> because that concludes another round of Simpsons trivia here on Bo's Podcast. Well, that does it for this episode of Bo's Podcast. We talked about the episode Springfield Files today, the Simpsons X-Files crossover from 1997. Thanks to Taylor Mitchell and our producer Kevin Valentine for the discussion and our mixologist Adam for his take on the red tick beer from that episode. This recipe, along with more Simpsons-inspired drinks, can be found at Bo's Cavern on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Please like and subscribe to this podcast on the platform of your choice. Until next time, I'm Matt LaFrance, and remember, the truth is out there, trust no one, and keep watching the skis. Um, I mean skies. Morning star shine. The earth says hello, you twinkle above us, we twinkle below.